1: You're listening to Truly Criminal, the home of true crime. To see the video version of this case, including the footage and photos, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Truly Criminal. Emily Grace Jones was born in Bolton on the 18th of January 2013 to parents Sarah and Mark. Mark worked as a credit manager and Sarah was a solicitor. Emily was their only child. Emily was described as being full of joy and laughter, with a heart as big as her smile. She loved the great outdoors and playing sports, throwing herself into anything and everything. She was fearless and loved to go hiking and climbing, as well as swimming and riding horses. Mark said his daughter was a bit of a daredevil who was sociable and outgoing. Her teacher said she was creative and loved to draw and write stories. She was very popular with those in her class and got along with everyone. Bright and hard working, she would often joke with her teachers that she had finished her work before her classmates had even written the date. Although Mark and Sarah were no longer together, they were still on good terms and committed to co-parenting Emily. Mark would usually look after Emily on Sundays and he and Sarah had arranged to meet in Queen's Park on Sunday the 22nd of March 2020. That Sunday was Mother's Day, and Emily had given her mother a card that morning to celebrate. At around 2.15pm, Emily and Mark were in the park and she was whizzing around on her scooter, and her dad was encouraging her to go faster. Emily saw Sarah, who was jogging, and said to Mark, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go to Mum. He told her she could, and she set off. Emily called out to Sarah, but Sarah didn't hear her because she had headphones in and was too far away. As Emily scooted over, Mark saw a woman stand up from a bench and go towards his daughter, and Emily was suddenly on the ground, but he was unsure exactly what had happened. He assumed that she'd fallen over as he could hear her crying and that the woman was helping her up. People nearby began shouting, clearly horrified and distressed, saying that his daughter had been stabbed. The woman who had her hood up briskly walked away with a knife in her hand. Mark immediately ran over to his daughter. She had a catastrophic injury to her neck and was struggling to breathe. Her dad told her, just stay with me, Emily, stay with me. Don't leave me. Sarah was still in the park, but was unaware of what had happened. Mark called her, and a nurse came over and quickly began to try and help Emily. She was deteriorating rapidly. One of the people in the park at the time, Tony Canty, was there with his wife and baby daughter. He ran after the woman who had been seen with Emily as she tried to flee the scene. He wasn't exactly sure what had happened, or if she was armed, but continued to chase her. Tony's wife gave Mark her baby's muslin cloth to try and stop Emily's heavy bleeding. The emergency services arrived within minutes, and paramedics worked quickly to try and save her. The first paramedic to get there saw Emily being hugged by her father from behind as she lay on the ground. She was bleeding heavily and unconscious. She was also in cardiac arrest. The paramedics began to administer CPR and she was given adrenaline before being loaded into the air ambulance. As he pursued her, Tony's wife told him that the woman had a knife on her, but he still bravely carried on, disregarding his own safety, instead prioritising the safety of others. He knocked the woman to the ground and sat on her to stop her from running away and also called 999 telling the operator, there's been an incident at Queen's Park in Bolton and a child's bleeding. He also spoke about the woman. I don't know what she's saying. She is agitated. His wife also heard the woman saying that she no longer needed injections. Tony had killed her family and that he was killing her. Tony told her, you're not well, the police will help you. The woman said to Tony, I don't need you to tell me to be calm. He proceeded to keep hold of her until the police arrived and took over.
0: Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Hands Turn over. put take the bag down. Right, right. Let me take your bag off. Yes. Stay still. Okay. Hands behind your back. Thank you. Have you seen a child anywhere? Is she on her own? Right. the road? No, the Right. A child down there. Get down there quick. Yes, it's in my bag. It? What is? In my bag, ID, everything.
1: Oh. She was subsequently taken into custody.
0: One eight five seven six. Go ahead. This female is armed. She has said there's ID in her backpack. What's in your backpack? ID and everything. ID. Yes, and the knife. And a knife. <laughs> Yeah, turn it on. Right, the time now is uh, 14.45. At this moment in time, you're under arrest on suspicion of attempted murder. Uh, you do not have to say anything, but it may be defensive. You do not mention something when questioned that we're in question, but you led to a line in court. And if you do so, maybe give be an evidence. Okay? Your arrest is necessary to protect vulnerable people and to ensure a prompt and effective investigation to this offence. Yeah. Okay? What's your name? L. Jonas Connor. El Tiona's Corner. Okay. Where do you live? Uh nineteen turnstone road. Nineteen Turnstone? Yes. Ah, sweat there. Just confirm to you, what's in what's inside but your bag? You can control. It's just no no bumps, no nothing. It's no just bumps. my ID card. ID card. In my mum's ID card. Yeah. There is a knife, some water, some juice. OK. Nothing. OK, that's it. So there's that's nothing it. Nothing not, that's
1: going to hurt me, no? No. OK. A cordon was put up around the area and specialist officers were on the case, trying to build a clear picture of what had happened. Emily was taken to Salford Royal Hospital and the helicopter landed there at 3.27pm. She was ventilated and given blood transfusions, but remained in cardiac arrest. Tragically, at 3.56pm, all the attempts to restart her heart had failed, and Emily's time of death was called. This was now a murder inquiry. The following day, Sarah was given the awful task of formally identifying her daughter's body. A post-mortem was carried out, and it was determined that Emily had died from an incised wound to the neck. In a statement, her family said... We are beyond devastated that this random act of violence means we will never get to see our beautiful little girl grow up into the wonderful young lady she was showing such promise of becoming. It is truly heartbreaking to wake up to a world without Emily in it, and we cannot comprehend why this has happened. We would like to thank the members of the public that assisted us in the park and express our gratitude to the emergency services for doing their utmost to save Emily's life. The community was in shock. The teachers from her school were heartbroken and her headmistress paid tribute to her, saying, I want you to know how much Emily was loved. She will be missed by all her friends and all the staff. Her loss has left a hole in our hearts and the school will never be the same again. The police needed to start building a picture of their suspect. The woman they had arrested was 30-year-old Elteona Scana and she was detained under the Mental Health Act. Dr Suhanthini Farrell was the on-call doctor when she was arrested. She was said to be cooperative and calm, and when asked about her mental state, she responded, not very well. She said she couldn't remember anything about the park. But Dr Farrell said this appeared to be because she didn't want to discuss it, not because she couldn't remember it. Dr Farrell also described her as emotionless. When she was arrested, she was found to have wire tied around her toes. A police officer asked what this was for, and Elteona responded that it was to help her with her emotions. Before it was taken off, she tried to tighten it around her toes again. A doctor would later say that this was indicative of a psychotic action. Elteona Skana had been born in February 1990 in Albania. According to Eltiona's sister, their father had got into debt, and in February 2012, Eltiona was forced to marry the man he owed money to, and they then moved to Kuwait. She fled in September the following year and returned to Albania. In 2014, she left Albania again and this time headed to Frankfurt, Germany. And on the 11th of August, her sister paid for her to go to the United Kingdom. She was taken via Italy and France and entered the UK in a lorry two days later, on August the 13th. She had made an application to the Home Office for asylum, but this was rejected in June 2018. An appeal was made and this decision was reversed and she was then given a residency permit to remain in the country until the 28th of November 2020 and then leave to remain until November 2024. This was despite her later admitting to doctors that she had lied in her application and falsely said she was a victim of sexual exploitation, something she had said to improve her chances of being allowed to stay in the country. The Home Officers not revealed if they were informed that she had admitted to lying. In March of 2015, her mental health was not in a good place and she was assessed by a doctor who determined that she had post-traumatic stress disorder and she was subsequently referred for treatment. However, she failed to turn up for her cognitive behavioural therapy session and her case was therefore closed. Just a few months later in July, Elteona had grabbed a knife and believed she was going to be attacked. Her sister reported it and Elteona was sectioned and admitted to Royal Bolton Hospital for treatment. She was diagnosed with acute schizophrenia like psychotic symptoms. She believed her neighbours were planning to hurt her by using her electricity. When she was granted leave by the hospital, she would run away on several occasions. After refusing oral medication, she was given antipsychotic medications via injection. She did lodge an appeal against being sectioned, but on the 20th of August 2018, it was determined that she was well enough to be released. As the feelings she had about her neighbors trying to hurt her had reduced, as had her feelings of being persecuted. As part of being released, she was visited by mental health workers between one and two times a week. Eltiona complained about the injections of the antipsychotic medications, saying she didn't like the side effects. In November 2015, she was taken off the medication, but her mental health would soon deteriorate again. On the 9th of December, she told doctors at the Salford Royal Hospital that she was having auditory hallucinations on a daily basis. It was reported that Altiona's own mother did not believe she should be on medication and didn't agree with the decision to prescribe her any. In January 2017, she refused to let her care coordinator come into her property and did not attend a scheduled meeting. Her sister was now greatly concerned about Altiona's mental health and that she was suffering a relapse. So she arranged for a team to visit her again on the 13th of February. But before this could happen, El Tiona would commit a shocking act of violence. Her mother had come to visit her and she had found that El Tiona had been trying to hurt herself. El Tiona led her mother upstairs and proceeded to chain the door shut. She said that once she killed her mother, everything would be okay. She then attacked her with an iron, stabbed her hand and was only stopped when a friend intervened. She was subsequently arrested and detained under the Mental Health Act. It later emerged that she had disconnected the boiler, removed the light bulbs in the property, and got rid of her television. She would again leave the hospital without permission, and at 5am went to a friend's house and demanded to speak to their 13-year-old daughter. She was armed with a knife that she had taken from a restaurant. The mother refused to let her inside, and when she asked Altiona about what she had done to her hair, Altiona said she had cut her hair off rather than cutting off people's heads. She was returned to the hospital by police. And on the 4th of May, she was deemed fit for release. All appeared to go quiet. That was until March of 2018. Altiona said she was not feeling well and requested to go back on injections. She said she was having hallucinations again. The following year, she asked to be taken off the injections and be on oral medication instead. She remained stable and her family's support appeared to help with her paranoia, although she continued to avoid busy places and wore sunglasses to avoid eye contact. Her last visit with a mental health worker was on the 11th of March 2020, after having none for three months. It was so uneventful that the worker didn't even make any notes. Just 11 days later, she would take Emily's life. On the morning of the 22nd of March 2020, Eltiona had left her home at around 1pm and headed into Bolton Town Centre. She purchased a pack of three crafting knives from a pound shop, later telling a psychiatrist that she had bought them with the intention of killing someone. She then went to Queen's Park. A witness later reported that he had seen a woman sitting on the ground with her legs crossed next to a bench, and added that she appeared to be agitated. He noted that she had a vacant look on her face which also caught his attention. He continued to watch her for around four minutes, but as she didn't say or do anything, he headed home. As Emily headed to Sarah, she went past the bench Altiona was sat on with her hood pulled up. Out of nowhere, she stood up, grabbed Emily into a headlock, and launched a ferocious attack against the little girl, stabbing her in the neck and slitting her throat. Police went to her flat and searched it and found a load of antipsychotic medication, totaling almost a month's worth that hadn't been taken. A doctor would later say that suddenly coming off of medication could cause someone's mental health to rapidly decline within just a few days. She was charged with murder and possession of a bladed article. She was remanded in custody and scheduled to appear at Manchester and Salford Magistrates' Court on Tuesday the 26th of May. As the preliminary murder hearing got underway at Manchester Crown Court, Judge Richard Mantle QC expressed his sympathy for Emily's family, saying to Mark, "I can't imagine the level of pain you and your wife are going through at the moment, and you have my personal and deepest sympathy, as well as the sympathy of everyone involved in the court's process." Mark was there for the hearing, and El appeared via a video link from Rampton Secure Hospital, a high-security psychiatric hospital where she was being held. She entered a plea of guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, and prosecutors were given seven days to consider her plea. They eventually decided to push ahead with a murder trial. It was now time for El Tiona Skarner to go on trial for murder the prosecution told the jury that it would be for them to decide whether or not this was actually a case of manslaughter or if she was using her mental health condition as what they referred to a convenient excuse for what she had done. The court heard evidence that whilst in hospital she had spoken to a nurse and the conversation had pointed to this being something that had been planned, therefore not manslaughter but rather a premeditated and calculated killing. It also emerged that from the middle of December 2019 to March 11th the following year, she had not had any face-to-face contact with mental health workers. In a report read out to the court, one of the doctors said that El represented a very high risk of serious, potentially fatal harm to others. The court heard that whilst in hospital she had been reportedly watching a child's television program, when a child who looked like Emily appeared on the screen, El began to laugh hysterically. She said to a nurse at the hospital, like I said, it's been three months, what do you want me to do, cry all the time? Later telling the same nurse, it was premeditated. I waited in a park and picked my victim. I did what I did, then tried to run away. It was noted that during these conversations, she was not on her medication. The court was told that on the 30th of July, staff at the hospital had been observing what was referred to as strange behaviour, with Altiona telling nurses, your body has gone to your soul, and we're all going to die. Dr John Crosby, a consultant psychiatrist, would tell the court that El Scana had paranoid schizophrenia and said this had caused her to suffer from delusions and lose touch with reality. He said that there appeared to be no reason for Emily being singled out by her, adding that it was his conclusion she was in the midst of a psychotic episode when she took Emily's life. It's such a terrible, rare, random attack. To my mind, I can't think of another reason why it could have occurred, he said. In a statement read to the jury, Mark said, I do not know why this happened. Emily was simply riding her scooter to her mum. I simply can't explain it. He said that Emily was a vulnerable child, full of innocence and wonder. She was just starting off on her path of life, and her future was cut short. Our future has also been taken away. How can we enjoy life when the best part of it has been taken away? Evidence was given by a consultant forensic psychiatrist from the hospital where Altiona was being held and it stated that the possibility of her being convicted of murder was not realistic. After the prosecution considered the medical evidence, it was agreed it would not be fair to ask a jury to convict her of the offence of murder, so the murder charge was withdrawn, and the jury was formally instructed to return a not guilty verdict on the charge of murder. Elteona Scana was therefore convicted of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Prosecutor Michael Brady QC told the court... It is not a decision that has been taken lightly by the Crown. It's a decision taken with care and mindful of the sensitivity of the case. Having reviewed all the evidence in this case, the Crown has come to the conclusion that there is no longer any realistic prospect of conviction.
0: Breaking news in the woman who killed seven-year-old Emily Jones in a park in Bolton in March, has been sentenced to life in prison. Gerard Tubbs outside the court... In Manchester, And she's going to be held in a, a secure hospital, Gerard. And the judge um, sentenced her, as you say, to be uh, detained under uh, Section 45A of the Mental Health Act. She has been imprisoned for life with a minimum of eight years, uh, but she will initially be treated at Rampton High Security Hospital. If she's deemed well enough to leave there, she will go on to serve the rest of her sentence in hospital. The judge said... Uh, She had to be punished because she had made the decision uh, to buy the knife. She had made the decision to kill someone. There was uh, an element of culpability uh, in her action.
1: The judge said in his sentencing remarks, "...the devastating effects of what you did will live with Emily's parents and doubtless others who knew Emily forever. It is obvious that nothing I can do or say can restore Emily to her family or offer any real comfort to them in their immense loss." He said he was satisfied on the basis of the evidence given that she had paranoid schizophrenia, saying that the nature and degree of it warranted her detention in hospital. Altiona Scana will only be eligible for release after serving her minimum term and being assessed as no longer being a danger to the public. The judge added if you are never deemed fit for release, you will remain in hospital or prison for the remainder of your days. It was later reported that her minimum term had been increased. From eight years to ten years and eight months. The judge said that the original sentence had been calculated in error and added that he took full responsibility for it. After her sentence was increased, Mark said, I will keep fighting tooth and nail for her to stay there for the rest of her life. Whether it's ten years or twenty, it won't be enough for me. As far as I'm concerned, she's a danger to the public for the rest of her life. She'd do it again to any child, I would bet my bottom dollar on that. At the inquest into Emily's death, the acting senior coroner, Alan Walsh, said, In my 20 years as a coroner, this is one of the most tragic deaths that I have dealt with, and the loss of a beautiful, innocent, lively, intelligent and lovely seven-year-old in these circumstances is an unimaginable tragedy. Now, a coroner has said the father of a seven-year-old girl killed by an asylum seeker is entitled to feel her killer should never have been allowed into the country. Emily Jones was attacked as she scooted through a Bolton park on Mother's Day in 2020. Her killer was Albanian asylum seeker Tiona Skana, who had a long history of poor mental health. From the inquest into Emily's death, here's our North of England reporter Kelly Foraner. Despite Skarner being well known to mental health services, the coroner today said that the local community teams could not have predicted or prevented Emily's death. He added, though, that if nothing changes nationally, there is a risk to future lives.
0: The whole profession of psychiatry needs to come under the spotlight at some point. I think it's a real worry. It's just shocking. So we're just going to try and do our best and, you know... and. In, in emily's so emily's death doesn't go in vain so uh yeah we'll we'll just keep plugging away right just try to promote mental health awareness and the dangers of relapse and not monitoring mental health i've met with other families in the greater manchester area that have uh, been affected by uh, you know by homicides and the lack of funding in, in mental health it's everybody knows this you know in the light of emily 's killing and the issues around scarner 's care in the community, Bolton coroner Timothy Brennan said he 'd be writing a regulation twenty eight prevention of future Death Report to the Secretary of State. He said it will make clear my profound concerns about morale, workload, training, staff shortages, and inability to deliver continuity of care. He said the case showed a sector of health care provision that is challenging and riven with operational stress and tension, I sense a healthcare sector in crisis. But he didn't believe Skarner's behaviour could have been predicted by her mental health team. Emily's father, however, said those tasked with monitoring Skarna failed to realise just how dangerous she was. It's just shocking. And um, it's it's a real... It's been a real... Most distressing... Part of everything is listened to these so called experts that just completely different opinions on. And no one really understood, as far as I'm concerned, the threat that the perpetrator posed.
1: When talking about Altiona, the coroner, Timothy Brennan, said she had been deliberately masking her deteriorating condition, meaning that the mental health workers didn't know she was not taking her medication or that she was relapsing. He added that only with the benefit of hindsight could Altiona's actions have been predicted. We heard today from Eltio Scana's sister, who said that she was very unwell in the days and weeks leading up to the attack on seven-year-old Emily. She'd been complaining of hearing voices in her head. Now, her sister told the inquest that there had been previous incidents of violence where she'd tried to attack her and her mother, and there'd also been times where she'd been found with a knife outside, screaming. She'd also displayed other concerning behaviour, including cutting pipes to a boiler, and Her sister Clastora said it was like living, uh, like a horror movie, living with her. Now she disagreed with evidence given by Skarner's consultant psychiatrist earlier today who told the inquest that she was stable and hadn't displayed any relapse symptoms of florid psychotic behaviour in the weeks and months before the attack. Emily's father Mark said that although he was glad the inquest was over, He disagreed with the finding. I cannot believe he has come to that conclusion, he said. They didn't realise the threat she posed, but it was their job to know. They may be underfunded and rushed off their feet, but they're a dangerous people. I don't think enough money goes into mental health services, but that's no excuse, especially when you're dealing with dangerous individuals. I don't feel like I have got closure. I want to change the system. It's my daughter, and it's down to me to make this right. Following the inquest, Mark's lawyer said she twice told doctors that she had lied in her asylum application, she twice told doctors and police that she wanted to go home, in 2015 and 2017, and the Home Office offered no explanation as to why they ignored these important clues in her presentation. A Home Office spokesperson said, we are carefully considering the findings from the inquest, and any further recommendations by the coroner. Mark said he has not forgiven Altiona for what she did. I know people say it's good for your mental health to forgive, but in this instance, I'm afraid I can't. How dare she touch my daughter? How dare she put her hands on her? So, no, I can't forgive her. Altiona Scana would later appeal her sentence, but this appeal was rejected. Lady Justice McCour said that there was sufficient evidence to find Altiona knew that what she did was wrong and attempted to escape detention and escape the scene. Mark said he was more relieved than happy that the appeal was rejected, saying she's a manipulative and dangerous individual, and all three judges saw that today. Eltiona Scana remains at Rampton Hospital, where she is being treated. Greater Manchester Mental Health NHS Trust, who had been responsible for Elteona's care, conducted a review. In a statement, they said, "...we treat incidents of this kind with the utmost seriousness," and completed an internal rigorous review. Whilst this identified learning for our services, the review found there were no markers of deterioration in Miss Garner's mental state or behaviour which would have foreseen this tragic event. NHS England disagreed with the Trust's conclusion, saying that it was clear she was unwell and posed a risk to others by 2017. Their report said, our most important finding is that the Trust's understanding of risk concepts was poor. Mark later demanded an apology from the trust, saying that it was absolute nonsense. They are just trying to relinquish all responsibility, and she was their responsibility. They knew she didn't comply with oral medication, but they allowed her to take it on her own volition. That is a ridiculous thing to do. She was a ticking time bomb. I want the horrible story of what happened to my daughter to be told. It's not that I want people to feel sorry for us, but it needs to be told because it's an absolute public outrage. Following Emily's death, her school said they were going to have a memorial set up for her, and more than £11,000 was raised. The head teacher said she was blown away by the support the school had received from the community. Emily's school friends were helping to design a garden in her memory, something that would reflect Emily's love of life in the outdoors, also creating a space for people to go and remember her. Mark teamed up with the charity 100 Families, which supports relatives of those killed by somebody suffering from mental illness, to change the way patients are managed within the community. He said, Someone said to me, What are you trying to achieve from all this? It's not going to bring Emily back. It's not. But I don't want another family to have to go through what we have been through. I don't want Emily's death to have been in vain. In another fitting tribute to Emily, her mother Sarah launched a GoFundMe to raise money for Bolton Lads and Girls Club with the aim of helping children have support and access to various opportunities. It raised nearly £30,000 and was a truly beautiful way to remember Emily. For her devastated family and those left behind, life will never be the same. Emily was a bright and kind little girl with her entire life ahead of her, a life that would have undoubtedly been filled with joy and love and immense promise. On what was a Sunday that should have been filled with joy and happiness, her life was taken in the most appalling of circumstances, and the aftermath of her death is quite simply devastating. As Mark and Sarah said, Emily was the beat in our hearts, the spring in our step, and the reason we got up every morning.